All right, welcome everybody to our service today. I'm coming to you live from my makeshift office here in our new building and uh, really excited about today's message. I'm excited about the new series that we're starting next week and uh, just want to get right into the message today. If you have your Bibles, let me encourage you to join me in the New Testament book of Titus. Now, Titus is found just after 1st and 2nd Timothy. It's near the end of your New Testament, not all the way at the end, but near the end. And I uh, want to encourage you to uh, open your Bible, get it out, look at it with me, because uh, it's really important that we look at the Word of God together. The Bible says, faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. Now, I just want to go back briefly to last week's message. Uh, I mentioned in that message that we do not get a do-over. We do not get to hit the rewind button as many times as maybe we would like to. We don't get to do that. But one of the things that we do get from God is second chances. And that's what I want to talk to you about today is the idea of second chances and, and God's grace, uh, because we all need God's grace. We all need God's grace to be changed. We all need God's grace to be given a second chance. And uh, when we embrace Christ as our Lord and Savior, uh, he uh, gives us the power by his spirit to make new and better choices uh, going forward. And so I'm thankful for the second chances that God has given me in my own life. And I know that he's given those same chances for you as well. So let's take a look at the, uh, the book of Titus. We're going to be in chapter two today, reading verses 11 through 14. As we look at God's grace and the second chances his grace makes available for each and every one of us. The passage of scripture says, for the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. So we understand that God's grace makes a new chance possible. We see that in both verses 11 and 14. In verse 11, we're introduced to God's grace immediately. The Apostle Paul reminds us that God's grace has appeared to all people. And aren't you thankful that God did not just extend his grace to a select few, but God's grace is extended to all. Now, not everyone will receive his grace. Not everyone uh, will embrace his grace, but God's grace is available for all. But we believe in free grace, free salvation, and I'm so thankful that God's grace is available for all. Uh, we're reminded of this in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 3 through 6, where it says, This is good and it is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and one mediator between God and man. Uh, the man, Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all, which is the testimony given at the proper time. So when we think of God's grace, or we think of God's favor and blessing, we understand that it's not deserved, it's not earned. That's why it's called grace. We don't deserve it. We can't earn it. But we're told in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9, for by grace you have been saved through faith, 
And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. The great apostle Paul understood and realized that he was only where he was because of God's amazing grace. He said, I am what I am by the grace of God. And so in verse 14 of our text, Titus chapter 2, Paul reminds us again of what God's grace provided. Notice again, the verse says, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. You see, God's grace led him to give his only begotten son. Guess why he gave himself for us? Because he loved us. He gave himself for us. He died for us. He laid down his life for us. He sacrificed himself for us. He shed his blood for us. He gave himself to redeem us. That word redeem, according to the Faith Life Study Bible, means to release or set free, especially from slavery. You see, we were enslaved to lawlessness. We were lawbreakers as a result of our sinful nature. We transgressed God's law. And as a result, we were dead in our trespasses and sins. We had no hope apart from the grace of God. The wages of our sin had earned us eternal separation from God. But God stepped in. God offered us a second chance. Our gracious God intervened and offered us salvation offered us to set us free from bondage to lawlessness, and his grace purifies us and makes us fit to be a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. You see, it's not only God's grace that redeems us, rescues us from the penalty and power of sin. God's grace makes a new change possible. Yes, God's grace makes a new chance possible, but God's grace also makes a new change possible. Look again in our text, verse number 12. Paul says here, training, uh, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. This is what happens after we experience God's saving grace. We now have God's training grace, God's discipling grace, God's uh, teaching grace. Now, one of the discussions that we had in discussing this passage with our sermon study the other evening was, well, how does grace do that? How does grace train us? How does grace teach us? And that was a great question, and it really probed me to think more about that question. The fact of the matter is, when we place our faith in Christ, and when we're born again, we become a new creation. Uh, the Bible tells us that we're born again. The Holy Spirit comes to live and dwell in our hearts, and he begins to produce his fruit in us. The word that Paul uses for train here is, a, is an interesting word. It's very similar to what you would think of as a parent training or teaching their child. Uh, David Guzik says that it speaks of the entire training process, teaching, encouragement, correction, and discipline. Grace is a teacher in this sense. Now, grace teaches us something that I think is interesting. It's probably one of the first things that you taught your children, and that is the word no. Grace teaches us to say no. That's what that idea there is in verse 
12, it teaches us to renounce ungodliness or say no to ungodliness. Uh, it teaches us to renounce ungodliness and also worldly passions. We're to say no to those things. The word ungodliness is also translated godlessness or wickedness. God's grace teaches us to say no to wickedness, to say no to a godless life, a godless attitude. And it also teaches us to say no to worldly passions. Now, these are passions or desires, maybe lusts, that, that are centered in this present world system, uh, centered right here where we live. But grace teaches us to look beyond instant gratification. It teaches us to look beyond the here and now and look to the eternal. Uh, and, and it also teaches us to say yes. We say no to godlessness. We say no to worldly passion or worldly lust. But we say yes to what? We say yes to self-control, upright, and a godly life. That's what verse 12 goes on to say. And so uh, the idea of being self-controlled is the idea of living a sensible, decent life. When people live out of control, uh, how many times have you looked back in your life and you asked yourself, why did I do that again? Why did I say that again? Why did I give in to that again? Why, why, why? Well, that's not living under the Spirit's control or the self-control that the Spirit provides for us. We do unsensible things, nonsensical things. And so living a self-controlled life is a life of decency. It's a life of sensibility as it relates to God's will. And that's in stark contrast of living for worldly passion. Those are the things that we're called to renounce. So as a believer, a self-controlled life is really a spirit-controlled life. And uh, it teaches us to say yes uh, to an upright life. Now, what is an upright life? Well, an upright life is a person who's concerned about doing the right thing, the right thing in God's eyes. They're not concerned about you know, doing what's popular. They're not concerned about necessarily doing what's easy or what comes naturally. But they have learned through the training grace of God to learn to be concerned about doing what is right in God's eyes. And then it teaches us to say, uh, say yes to a godly life. We've all been challenged to ask the question, what would Jesus do? How should I live my life? Well, Jesus lived a godly life, and grace teaches us to live a godly life. And so we're to say no to godlessness, ungodliness, wickedness, worldly passions. We're to say yes to living a self-controlled, upright, godly life. Now, Living that way does not save us. It's important to understand that. Living that way does not save us. It's a byproduct of God's salvation. It's a byproduct of a proper understanding of grace and a proper application of grace. Max Lucado put it this way, grace is the voice that calls us to change and gives us the power to pull it off. When grace happens, we receive not a nice compliment from God, but a new heart. I want to read you something from a, a commentary uh, that I, I was reading this week. It said, Paul did not leave the Christian with a list of duties to perform. He called us to a noble purpose, a higher life. He showed us that it is God's grace, past, present, future. God's grace which strengthens and motivates us to live beyond the call of society, embracing obedience to God. God wants us to learn how to live to the full. 
When we believe in Christ as our salvation, we become enrolled in the school of living. In turning to God, we agree that we must turn away from ungodly living and towards godly living. We do not just wish for this to happen. We do not simply hope it might happen. But through grace, we must take ourselves in hand and say no to all these behaviors, attitudes, and desires that are opposed to God. Then we can learn to live a self-controlled, upright, and godly life. So we must ask ourselves, you must ask yourself, has your life been changed by God's grace? Are you enrolled, as it said, are you enrolled in the school of the Holy Spirit? Are you growing through the ingestion of the milk and the meat of the word? Are you becoming more and more like Jesus day after day and year after year? And see, that's what grace teaches us. Are we listening? Are we learning? Are we growing in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior? When we are given that new chance by grace, and we experience that new change by grace, we also develop a new confidence. God's grace makes a new confidence possible. What do we mean by that? Well, look again at verse 13 of our text. He says, waiting for our blessed hope. That's our confidence. We're waiting. We're confident for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory, uh, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. We're waiting for that blessed hope. Grace teaches us to say no. Grace teaches us to say yes. Grace also teaches us to wait. And we're waiting for something special. We're waiting for something specific. We're waiting for our blessed hope. The idea of waiting for is the same idea of, of looking for. In other words, we're looking or we're waiting for Christ's return with constant expectation and joy. Are you waiting for Christ's return with constant, constant expectation and joy? You see, I think when we have a good understanding of God's grace, we have a good understanding of God's uh, word, and we will want to be with the one who provided that grace for us and who continues to provide that grace for us. When we have a better and deeper understanding of God's grace, and when our hearts and minds are focused on him and his return, we will, as one commentator said, uh, uh, that will be the antidote to worldly lust and the stimulus to live in this present world as pure people zealous for good works. Paul put it this way in Romans 12. He said, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. And I'm thankful. Aren't you thankful that we have something better to look forward to than last year? Aren't you thankful that we have something better to look forward to than a new year? Aren't you thankful that we have something better to look forward to besides promises from politicians? We have confidence of Christ and his return. Come quickly, Lord Jesus. Are you ready? If he were to come today, right now, if he were to come right now, would you be ready? Would you be 100% sure? 
that you would go to be with him because of his grace. As I conclude today, I want to summarize this entire passage by reading a text from Newt Larson from his commentary. I thought it was so good. I wanted to share it with you. He said, we deserve the punishment of our sins, the wrath of God upon us for our rebellion and evil. But Christ stepped in and suffered and died on our behalf. The reason he did this was to redeem us from all wickedness. To redeem is to release at a price or to buy back. This was a term used for slaves who were purchased out of slavery. Their freedom was bought at a price. This picture is Christ's purchase of our freedom from slavery to sin. At the cost of his life, we were released from our bondage to evil, which resides by nature with all human beings. But God never quits halfway. He redeems us for a purpose. And this is to purify for himself a people that are his very own. Not only were we paid for it, we were released into the freedom of belonging to God, of fulfilling our original design and purpose for which he created us. God's plan can be traced throughout the entire Bible. From the very beginning, God chose particular people to belong to him, people who would bear his image and establish his righteousness on the earth. Whether we speak of Noah, Enoch, Abraham, or his selection of Israel as a special nation, God has always worked to establish a community of faith that honors him and lives in obedience to his laws. In Christ, God flung wide the doors of admission into his family, accepting anyone who would trust in Christ's saving death and resurrection. In the act of faith, we transfer our obedience from wickedness to righteousness, from Satan and self to God. You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your body. Belonging to God carries responsibilities. We should live with the sole objective of pleasing our Lord. Paul taught us how we can delight our Savior by being people who are eager to do what is good. Dear friend, we have entered a new year. God has given us a new chance an opportunity to be saved from the penalty and power of our sins and enter into a personal relationship with our Creator, our Heavenly Father, with, with, with uh, Christ Jesus as our Savior. I remember just as a little boy praying and inviting Christ to be my Lord and Savior. Have you ever made that commitment to Him? Have you ever called on the name of the Lord to be saved? Have you ever cried out and said, God, be merciful to me, a sinner? I need your saving grace. I want to embrace you today. When we have that new chance, it brings with us a, it brings with it a new change. In Christ, we become a new creation. We grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus. Old things pass away. All things become new. This is why this year we're emphasizing personal discipleship because we realize that grace teaches us some things. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions. It teaches us to say yes to a self-controlled, upright, and godly life. And we are instruments uh, as believers. We're instruments to help teach one another. We need to be in a teaching discipleship relationship. And then finally, grace gives us that new confidence. Jesus is coming again. 
It may be today. It may be tomorrow. It may be years from now. But he is going to return. Are you ready? Are you ready to meet him just like you are? You can be today. We'd love to introduce you to him. Please contact us, call us, text us, email us. We would love to help you and make sure that you embrace that new chance, that you experience that new change, and that you have that new confidence. God bless you. Let us know who you are.